On Overheard Productions, this is Bill Quinn. I am sitting here in Coolangatta in the beautiful southeast of Queensland, but sitting in Kentucky or somewhere in the region of uh, Lexington, Kentucky. It's good evening to David M. McLean. Good day, David. Hey, how you doing, Bill? Yes, I'm right here in Lexington, Kentucky, in my in my car, my truck, actually. Your truck. Now, when you say truck, we're talking like a pickup. Uh, no, no, it, it's sort of just a SUV crossover kind of thing, so I can haul gear and whatnot. Oh, okay, so your band van then. Yeah, sort of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to put the woofers and the tweeters and the uh, amps and the guitars into, right? Exactly, just so, so I, can, I can fit as many guitars as I need. <laughs> and my Marshall. <laughs> now, we were talking off air about why it's particularly appropriate that you're sitting in a car. David M. McLean, tell us about why it's appropriate that you're sitting in a truck at the moment. Well, I think the very first time we spoke on the phone years ago, six years, seven years, something like that ago, I was I was actually in my vehicle then, and, and the first time uh, while I was in my car, so here I am again. I want to explore a few different things because you are a man of many uh, levels and layers. Before we do that, though, my new thing I do is ask you a trivia question. So I have got a cat sitting at my feet. However, there was another cat that was sitting in the sun here, but he took off when I was making a cup of coffee. His name is Rarotonga, David M. McLean. For $27 million on a private island to live on for the rest of your life, in what country would you find Rarotonga? Uh, the Bahamas. Bahamas is a really good guess and so wrong. I People would write novels and songs about it. No, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> You've gone, you've gone up there. It's actually down there, but we'll get back to that later and uh, tell you. But what you've got is the, the uh, secondary prize, which is this interview, which will go out on the global networks of Overheard Productions and all its very tendrils. So, David, back to you. There's a whole bunch of things that you're involved with, but you've just come from classes. Tell me a little bit about the guitar classes that you do. Guitar, well, I teach, uh, I teach four days a week when I'm teaching regular lessons, and they're done in, across three locations. Two today's I'm teaching private lessons. But uh, two days, I teach uh, group classes in two different two different locations, and we have multiple levels where we bring people in and take them from the very novice or never have picked up a guitar, and we take them hopefully in very short order and have them strumming songs and playing riffs and singing along and having a good time. So a big part of what I do is teaching. Now, the first time that I engaged with you was because of mutual acquaintance or somebody that you taught, and uh, I then uh, got to know through not only your teaching, but also through the, the Wood Songs program, that's Elmira Fawn. Her story was one of using guitar to overcome shyness. Do you find that when you're teaching some of these, well, let's call them kids, young adults, do you find that that's something where they're learning a musical skill, but maybe also addressing some other need? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, sometimes people come and they just want to learn. And, and it's worth noting, my youngest students uh, typically are, oh gosh, seven or eight, but I've had them as young as five years old, but that fine motor rhythm acquisition to, to be successful with it. And, but the, my oldest students are, I've had beginners literally in their 70s and 80s. So I'm not, I'm not just teaching not just teaching children, but having said that, yeah, absolutely. There's all sorts of, sometimes they're learning additional life skills in the process of learning an instrument because discipline required to, to do anything well, for that matter, not just a musical instrument, but certainly teaches you other, other things as well. But having said that, some people do come for additional. Almira was a sort of a classic example. They joked, uh, I'm sure at some point she you know, made the joke about it being therapy, yeah. um, simply because that was sort of the running joke at the time, but, but most certainly. 
sometimes people come because they think that maybe playing an instrument will help them with, in her case, shyness and kind of breaking out of her shell or expressing themselves in some other way or what have you. I've even had some come and say, well, we, we heard that you know, music was really all numbers and I have a hard time with math and my child has a hard time with math, so we thought that might help. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if it does or not, but, but that's what they tell me. <laughs> so... That is a beautiful resonance because that's exactly what uh, Almira said during the interview was that she used as she called it therapy as much as it was guitar lessons it was also therapy and then I think she might have also said something similar when she explained one of her songs which was when she talked about that song what's on your mind and I just thought how does a 12 year or 11 year old come up with that concept and she said no 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 it's my cat running around like mad in the house and I just wonder what's on its mind. (laughs) Exactly, yes, yes. <laughs> Going to the other end of the scale, you mentioned the 70-year-olds and the 80-year-olds. Do you get a, a sense of, or do they actually say out loud, oh, look, it's something I always wanted to do, and I either never got around to it, or I didn't have the time, or just had some other barrier to actually sitting down and getting taught how to use this instrument? Yeah, it's odd, because a lot of kids will come in, and sometimes, you know, I'll have a 7 or 8-year-old saying, I've always wanted to do it, and I was thinking, always what, you know, you're eight. <laughs> but, but a lot of times the kids are sort of experimenting to, to see what they like. They'll be, you know, guitar lessons for a couple months and soccer for a couple months and basketball for a couple months and dance for a couple months and whatever. They're just sort of bouncing around to see what it is they like. But most adults, when they come to it, they've already, typically they've wanted to play and, and either have played years before or it's something, as you said, that they had never gotten around to mm. and wanted to get around to. And, and sometimes the thing that always struck me as odd is that some would come never having played an instrument and I'll say something like, oh, so what You know, what brought you to guitar specifically as opposed to trumpet or violin or whatever else? Mm. And occasionally they'll say, well, I really wanted to play piano, but I decided to play guitar instead. And hearing the reasons why they might choose guitar is always interesting, and it, and it runs the gamut from anywhere from, because I just want to play socially, you know, like around a campfire, but the piano won't fit in the back of the car, <laughs> to, well, I did try actually playing piano and took about a month of lessons, and the teacher told me I wasn't cut out for it, which just strikes me as a, a crazy thing to say to a student, <laughs> of anything <laughs> at all. <laughs> the next thing I wanted to focus on was the Lexi Awards. That seemed to start off very quietly and slowly, and it's it's really built into something quite amazing. Tell us more about the Lexi Awards. Well, uh, we're about to do the third January, uh, the end of January, January 29th, we'll be doing the third award show. It started as a what I thought was going to be a small idea, and so we booked a small venue that held, I don't know, 7,500 people. We thought we'd struggle to put 75 people in, but it'd be the, the first small steps in building a works program for the Central Kentucky region. It kind of blew up overnight, and so we had to switch venues, and the good folks at the Lyric Theater were fantastic and got us set up, and that year, the first year we did it, there was a huge snowstorm, and the whole city was shut down literally until the day of the show. (laughs) (laughs) They, They finally got the the roads clear, and we had sold only a handful of tickets in advance because everybody knew that the weather was going to be real bad. But we ended up putting, you know, 350 or more people in the theater that holds about 500, a little over 500. So it was a really good turnout for the first year. And last year we sold out. Our second year we added did some changes. We added a live band and things of that nature, and it was really fantastic. But the awards in general is uh, it's a little different than, than what people would see in your standard awards show. We have a, a an industry section where we have a number of categories like best recording studio 
then we have another section for performance, like best guitar player, best mm-hmm. horn player, best bass player, best piano player, whatever. And then we have a style section, which is sort of a standard awards that people would be used to seeing if they watch, you know, whatever type of awards program that they that they like. Um, in the U.S., of course, would be things like the Grammys and whatnot. But and that's where you have your standard sort of best rock band or best country band or, or bluegrass band or jazz band or classical ensemble or what have you. Do you have a bit of canned music just in case anybody does a Bill Quinn and starts talking too much and you want to get them off stage? <laughs> No, we've got, we've got a live band, though, so they can cut in anytime they need to, yeah. And, yeah, and then we've got a fourth section, and the fourth section is just that has our, like, Song of the Year and Album of the Year, Critics' Choice Award, Lifetime Achievement Award, Community Service Award, which is really nice, too, to have that sort of special section with the special categories in it. And so it's uh, a really neat, interesting, it's not just your standard musicians patting themselves on the back type of award show, which is an obvious critique that things like the Grammys would not have with people dislike award shows is that they're always like well it's just you know it's musicians patting themselves on the back but in our case we're trying to get the entire community involved music lovers and people who don't play anything they just enjoy the music as well as as the retailers and the studio people and the you know because nobody makes music in a vacuum there, there are people teaching lessons and there are you know schools that you go to and there are recording studios you go to and somebody's selling your your stuff and there's management companies and record labels and, and so we just wanted to bring the entire community and try to, to represent all of that in our industry segment. And, and then you have people who are more focused on excelling on a given instrument, for example, and we wanted to honor that as well. And you normally see those things in, you know, magazine, like guitar magazines or girl magazines or something of that nature. And so we just really wanted to kind of run across the board and really bring the entire community, which is why we even have a community service award, because that yeah. way, yeah, I mean, it may be just a particularly outgoing fan, you know, could get could get nominated in that category or a, or a photographer in fact, the photographer did get nominated the first year, I believe it was. And then Winnie, who runs the LexJam, which is basically an open mic, a monthly, very well done open mic, uh, actually won last year. The first year, the Community Service Award went to the Woodsongs crew, because they're, as you well know, they're an all-volunteer crew. They put on 40-plus shows that are nationally televised, international radio show, and these guys do it all for free. Yeah. Every week, they're just they're there, and they just they top flight talent putting all this on. He's in there, and they're just doing it for, for the love of doing it. And so they were honored the first year with a community sports. So it sounds like you've got a really good model there to the point where I would even suggest that at some point in a quiet time, you you document some of this sort of stuff because it's it's absolutely instructive to so many organizations that mean well, but don't really get it quite right. Now, the one place that I would say, and you've already mentioned, that does get it right, so maybe a joint venture between the two, the Woodsongs and the Song Farmers, the Front Porch Association, they've got a really good sense of community involvement and in, most importantly, start small and grow it sustainably. Yeah, well, and that's why we want it community-driven. And quite frankly, and this is going to sound terribly arrogant until I finish the sentence, I think our program is the best one I've, I've ever seen in terms of how we've got the entire thing put together. And normally one would go, well, gosh, that's a terribly arrogant thing, but in my case it isn't because all I am is a ringleader. The reality is the vast majority of the ideas we're employing are not my ideas. The one thing I think I got right that I would pat myself on the back over is I recognize that I'm not the smartest guy in the room, and I know that when you've got a thousand people willing to put their thoughts and and their passion and their ingenuity and whatnot on the table. And then quite frankly, the bravery to lay the ideas out 
with a bunch of other people taking shots at those ideas, (laughs) I knew it would turn out better than I could ever do it on my own. So what we had was we've got well over a thousand people involved in the group, just musicians and music lovers and professionals and hobbyists and whatever. And they all come together and say, well, I think you should do it this way and I think you should do it that way. And I get more ideas, more great ideas are on the table that way. It takes me a hundred years to to think of half of the stuff they've come up with in, in the short time we've been doing this. So that's the thing I'll say that I got right is I just I, I recognize that there's no way for one person to from the ground up or from the top down I suppose is a better way to put it sort of construct the entire thing and go there it's awesome I've got it it's only because the door is open for anybody to put their two cents in and, and try to make this thing better yep. that, that I think we're doing so well so quickly with it it's certainly not perfect and the nice thing is that at the end of the day I, as I always say I make the call on whatever we're going to employ. So if it doesn't work, it's clearly my fault. I made the wrong call. But if it does work, then obviously it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the the people who came up with the ideas that we're employing. And I think that, Bill, I think that alone makes it so community-driven because then people have a sense of belonging to the thing and not just external things that they're looking at. They're actually part of the, the process and part of the growth of the entire thing. And they know that they are. They're empowered to make it better. Within a couple of years, hopefully, my name won't be associated with it at all. It'll just be the awards standing on their own, and any number of people could speak for it, which is kind of a goal. And I think by that time, it'll be twice as good. The farther removed I am, probably the better it'll get. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you a couple of reactions to all of that, David. First of all, I can understand why you gave us the warning and said this might sound arrogant until I finish. I don't infer it to be arrogant at all. In fact, you've explained it beautifully. The second thing is that there is a, I mentioned before the Illawarra Folk Festival, and there's a really good correlation there between the Illawarra Folk Festival and what you're planning there, was that there's a name, Dave DeSanti, which looms very large in the plethora and panoply of folk music in Australia. He's been the driving force between, behind so many great festivals and so many bands and the publication Trad and Now and all this sort of stuff. And... He's now stepped back a little bit and moved on a bit from the Illawarra Folk Festival and some other things. And he's, what he's built, even though he's, I'm pretty sure he's not one person, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced he's at least three, but he's moved on from, <laughs> he's moved on from being that ever-present, think of Illawarra, Illawarra Folk Festival, think of Dave DeSandy, think of the Peak Festival, the Snowy Mountains of Music, the band Wonga Willie, the Trad Now publication, the father of Sam and all this sort of stuff. No, he's sort of stepped back from a lot of those things and there is a structure and a community behind it to, to carry it on. So that gives me great cheer that those things happen and that some people get it right. And do you know what, David? In some ways, I think if only I had met you maybe about 16 years ago, how different my life would have been. But by saying that, my God, I've learned some harsh lessons, some hard ways. And at the age of 50, I think I'm actually pretty well skilled to, to meet some of this sort of stuff and, and help other people do what you've achieved in Lexington. Well, thank you. I, I you know, I, I try. I don't, I don't know that I'm the best model for getting any of it done. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 you know, a couple divorces behind me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I might get some of it right, but I sure don't get all of it right. <laughs> Goodbye and good luck, and we'll talk to you next time. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it.